1: Hello and welcome to Fulhamish Podcast. My name is Sammy James. Thank you for downloading this episode and your continued support for our weekly audio pit stop for a reverent Fulham discussion. Joining me on the podcast this week, Farrell Monk is here. Good evening, Sammy. Jack Collins is here. Hello, everyone. And we welcome back Ben Jarman. How are you doing, mate? Evening, mate. I'm very well. Good to have you with us once again. And I'd like to think that if this podcast proves anything, and to be honest, it doesn't really prove very much, but the fact that we're never short for material just shows that supporting Fulham Life is never dull. So in the week we recorded an important win over Barnsley on Saturday and the Chris Martin CREXIT debate took a new twist. It was a dramatic U-turn, the likes of which Remainers could really only dream of uh, as Chris Martin committed his short-term future to Slav's team at the very least. And we're going to discuss both those topics, but we'll also examine the departure of Hozabed. Uh, have I pronounced that all right? Yep. Uh, he's decided to leave freezing England for a six month stint on the Spanish coast at Celta Vigo, which I think sounds rather appealing. I wouldn't mind six months uh, in the north of Spain. Yeah, no, apparently there's a really nice octopus there,
2: just on the border with Portugal. Oh,
1: very yeah. interesting. Which, which, part,
2: which part of Spain, north or south? I, I think it's in the north, yeah, oh, okay. north of Spain, northwest of Spain, I believe. Northwest, yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> there was a heated discussion as to whether Vigo <laughs> is in the north or south of Spain yeah. before
0: it's this cl- Its closest city is Porto, which obviously is in Portugal, and it's a very famous port town. And obviously, the massive rivalry between Celta Vigo and Deportivo La Coruña as well.
1: But we're just going to confirm it's definitely in the north of Spain,
0: like I thought, not in the south of Spain, like you thought.
1: Yeah, you're right. you
2: right. Port is near Porto. Porto is really nice.
1: White, it's really nice white port in Porto. <laughs> My ego needed that. So let's discuss Saturday's win against Barnsley. Another really convincing performance from Slav's side. And it feels like the first time in years where we can go to Fulham matches expecting a good performance from the team. Uh, but it was a potential banana skin. Barnsley were two points above us in the table. But in the end, they were swept aside with considerable ease. Farrell, how big a win was that on Saturday?
3: Massively. We we took apart a team who were gunning for a promotion. They're good side. You know... We made we talked up uh, Hurahan in the week, and he's on the radar of many big clubs out there. And we made him look ordinary. He, I didn't see a you know, particularly good thing. He's a neat and tidy player, but he he couldn't they couldn't get the ball for more than five five seconds. Barnsley, we absolutely raided them. Whenever they tried to get the ball forward, just wouldn't stick for them because we were just hassling them. And we had the ball forward so much, we had it in so many good positions. And we made a good team, a team that's in the top ten of the table, look like a team who are bottom of the table. Um, you know, absolutely dominating them for the full ninety. There was a couple of points where they got close. There was the um, the shot from Adam Hamill that, that hit the bar that seemed to come out of nowhere. I, I struggled to think of many more openings for them, and I can think of twenty openings for us. Justin, probably in the first half alone, even though there weren't that many sort of clear cut chances.
1: Yeah, and Ben, back on the podcast, uh, what did you think of uh, Callis and Martin, uh, who were back in the side? They make such a difference to this team.
0: I think mean, Kalas, definitely. Uh, our defensive solidity just is second to none when we've got Kalas back in there. I mean, the, just the presence that he offers and then that supreme confidence that communication will bring across a back four is something that Kalas brings to the table well over a Maddow or a Sigurdsson or, or a Ream can. It's actually made Ream look like quite a world-beater since his return. and I I've just I've, I think I've also been impressed with Reem as well. He had very good games against Ipswich and has had a couple of very strong home games since then. So he looks like he's really settled in the side. And I think that's down to just playing next to Kalas, which seems strange because Callas is such a young younger guy. Um, for him to be schooling someone like Tim Reem, who's nearly 30 now, it, it shows how good he really is. And we should definitely push to get him permanently, even if it does cost us a fair bit. And then Martin, of course, just brings presence up front and that presence of mind to bring other people into play. And that is especially at the four in the second goal. Um and I think yeah, just the inclusion of those two brings us up another level. But not forgetting on your point, Farrell, like we did make Barnsley look a little bit terrible at times, and I <laughs> completely agree with that. But they have been stripped of a couple of key players in the run up to this game, like Sam Winnell uh, and one other whose name escapes me right now, Jack. Who's the one that went to uh Sheffield Wednesday. That Sam That's Winnall. Sam Winnell oh, that went Sam to Winn, Sheffield but, Wednesday, but
1: Certainly, that, I mean, that was a, a big loss for them. It was quite a cagey first 45 minutes, I thought, Jack. Agreed with Farrell that we did create a lot of chances, but they had two good ones. There was the Hamill chance you mentioned and Bradshaw missing quite an easy header um, from the free kick in the first half. Our goal and penalty came at the perfect time, though, right at the end of the first half.
2: Yeah, it really did. And I think that, you know, there were, there was a... We started really well. We had a really, really good opening twenty, and we posted about it, saying we've had a good opening twenty. And as soon as we posted, pretty much it it all went it all went down the pan. And um, who who actually looked really good for them was was our old boy Ryan Williams mm-hmm. in the in the ten, sort of floating about, and and he was ghosting past players at points. And it was when he came to life that they really started to to click up front. And yeah, we the point that Farrell made was was about was about Conor Hurran and how his you know sort of lack of game control stood up. We said, you know, our key battle here. I read our key battle from preview. (laughs) Barnsley's midfield general is highly rated by many experts around the country, with his recent form granting him an international call-up. However, if Kevin MacDonald can stifle the Irishman's creative impetus, it will shut down the hub of Barnsley's attacking play and should curb their threat, which is... It's pretty much spot on. I'm going to say so myself. <laughs> uh, but it really was. The, the only time that they got into the game was you watched Conor Huron drift out wide and it was when they got that free kick and that chance that Tom Bradshaw missed was the probably the best chance of the game, I thought, for the, for, for Barnsley and it came courtesy of a wonderful set-piece delivery from Hurrahan. And yeah, you're, the Welshman should have done better up, up top with that. But apart from those two chances, and, and the Hamill chance did really come from from nothing, Yeah, that... It really was a, a one-way system, and I think that when the penalty went in, and as soon as we had control of the game, it only ever looked like going one way,
1: and, and that's how it turned out. If you want to read our previews, uh, me and Jack uh, write them before most Fulham games. Most games, yeah. Um, you can read them on the Fulhamish.co.uk website. I'm sure we'll have a special. Uh, for the Queen's Park Rangers game on Saturday. It's basically who has time on a Thursday to write it uh, between myself and Jack. So you mentioned the penalty. Um, We finally scored a penalty. McDonald fouling McDonald. Did you think it was the right call? I thought it was a little bit soft at the time, but maybe looking back on the repays, it looked a little bit more justified. Hard to tell from Hammersmith end.
3: I would say that looking back at it, because when you're at the game, you can't really spot all of that, all what's going on in the penalty box for uh, uh, when a corner comes in. Um, but looking back at the replays, I think we were lucky that that the referee just happened to be looking directly at that when McDonald pulled McDonald back. Um, it was soft, but it's a penalty at the end of the day. He pulled him back. Whether Kevin was actually going to get the ball, we don't actually know, but it's a penalty. You pull him all the way back. You know, people might actually say you can't give those because then you give 20 a game, but... Stop doing it then. Well, um, I given disagree. the new
0: FA rules, I don't think that's a penalty, fair. isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the new implications of FA rules this summer, say, or this summer it came into play, states that you are manhandling anyone in the box and it is a penalty. And, mm. and even there was a penalty in the first game of the season, I think, that involved Hull, when one of the players was nowhere near the ball was taken to the ground and as such, there was a penalty awarded to mm. Hull. So going by the, the law and the textbook, that should have been penalty and rightly so it was i'd have been gutted gutted mm. if that
2: had been given against us and i remember <coughs> us saying against norwich that it wasn't a penalty when cameron jerome was pulled down in the box by scott malone and i think if that wasn't a penalty then nor was it. if someone to give that against us
3: i'd be devastated because it's such silly
2: defending yeah it is silly oh, don't get me wrong yeah there's no need for it but at the same time
3: mm, mm, mm. <laughs> I'm not going anywhere when I play football. Exactly.
2: (laughs) I'd have gone down, don't get me wrong. I would have gone down as well, but, you know, I would have been playing for it, so.
1: (laughs) It's weird to try and analyse a penalty, but I'm going to try to. Chris Martin made it look easy. Is there any explanation or is it just, it's finally the law of averages has worked out it's only our is that two penalties in seven now this season if yep. I'm not correct
2: yep. Yeah. in all competitions I don't want to I don't know if be devil's advocate but I didn't think it was that good a penalty it just happened to go the other way to the keeper <laughs> <laughs> like, you know like I don't think that's any better or worse than quite a lot of the penalties yeah. we've missed Yeah, I think he genuinely just stuck it bottom
3: right and if the keeper had gone the right way the keeper probably would have got to yeah. it There's, uh, uh, I remember Clint Dempsey was probably our worst successful penalty taker mm. all of his penalties used to be sort of easy hype for the keeper sort of you know, the goalkeeper could stretch out one hand and probably get it, but the keeper always seemed to dive the other way, apart yeah. from the one against Chelsea that time. Which we'll never what? forgive him
0: no. for. He yeah. yeah. <laughs> didn't stop. He <laughs> did that bloody run-up. <laughs> for me, the, the the big difference between that penalty there and the one he took against Rotherham and then the one the ones we've missed um, since then, is just the fact that he put a lot of power on it, which is the big differentiator here. Um, and the one call he put, Away in the the cup, well didn't put away in the cup. Sorry, against Bristol it was terrible. It had no power on it, and yeah, this one just power in a good area. Luckily, the keeper went the wrong way.
1: I was interested to find out. I know Farrell, you've done some research on this. I can only recall one penalty last season, which is Woodrow away against mm. Rotherham. Now, we're only just into January and we've already had seven. Now, that could be down to what Ben has pointed out, you know, slight tweak in the rules and maybe referees in general are giving away more penalties. And I guess uh, if anyone knows those stats, um, please do tweet us. But is, is that correct? We only had one last season?
3: Uh, we actually had three uh, oh, right. last season. Okay, what were uh, the other ones? We actually, we, we're we not the most penalties this uh, in the championship. Okay. Uh, Reading have got had 10. 10? And they've missed five of them.
1: Someone's better than us.
3: Yeah, fifty percent. I take, I take, I take that. that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we actually have had a really good um uh, penalties over the past few years. So before this season, I can't remember when the last one we actually were the first one we missed this season. But before then, we had a hundred percent record uh, last year and a hundred percent record twelve in twelve the year before last.
1: We're twelve. That's quite a lot.
3: Yeah, and then in the, the Premier League year when we got relegated, we had seven from eight. Although the last one we had, we missed which was from memory i think it was steve sidwell against spurs yeah which yeah. i was there at and i was i was really gutted because i thought we were coming back into the game and we got a penalty with about 10 minutes to go and i thought here we go here we go and it definitely was not go <laughs>
1: <laughs> nothing was go that season um but it's just interesting that we've got so many. I guess part of that is the tweak in the rules, or do you think that it's just generally more attacking play equals more penalties?
0: Yeah, Probably yeah, yeah. yeah, being more positive on the ball, getting into the we get into the box a lot more frequently mm. this year than we definitely did last yeah. year, as you can tell by the amount of penalties we we got last year. And our positivity throughout the pitch is obviously as a result firstly in more goals and then mm. secondly in, in more chances created. And then. Naturally, more penalties as well. Mm.
3: It's like that myth uh, to do with uh, United never getting pen- uh, never getting penalties given away uh, from them at home, but they're just such a good team at home that the mm. ball hardly ever goes in the box for penalties to be given. Really, I've seen what I've seen. Fulham
1: score a penalty at Old Trafford. Steve Marriott in the FA Cup quarter final. I think
3: that was the first penalty at Old Trafford against United for about twelve years or something ridiculous.
1: And Zat Knight smacked oh. the bar from the halfway line. I remember that. And then I think Van Nistelrooy scored uh, two in something like crazy sixty seconds. Um, moving on, so good second half. That.
2: It's good to know that Brighton that Brighton brace wasn't a, you know a mm. new thing for the Fulham. For <laughs> the Fulham crowd. <laughs> oh, we've seen it all before. Good. <laughs>
1: Uh, so second half, uh, Fulham were scintillating once again, uh, coining a phrase off of Jack. Uh, the Cottage Carousel in full swing. Um, it seems like when Fulham in front, it's so difficult for teams to get back in the game, Ben.
0: Yeah, I completely agree with that. And um, I think it's just because we, really, we can really stifle teams when we keep possession so much when we go ahead and, and the confidence we have to keep pressing it throughout the, the team and throughout different parts of the pitch and we're very good i just recently picked this up as well in our style of play and it was very good from switching from one flank to the other pretty quickly with a searching ball i know um that was apparently according to um the world football phone in this week that the switch was actually um pioneered by graham taylor um Mm -hmm. only a few years ago um well i say a few years ago probably a couple of decades ago but yeah we're getting very good at switching play we seem to keep it away and then we had a we had a point in the match um, that Fulham actually posted on their own channels uh, today um, of a 53-pass sequence from back to front uh, where we kept the ball for just over two minutes um, that led to a Steph-Joe shot. Unfortunately, Steph-Joe didn't have his best game at the weekend, so uh, couldn't score that one. But yeah, 53 passes without the other team touching the ball for a total of two minutes, and that's why we can stifle teams when we get ahead. And also something I noticed that we when we're out of possession... We're much better positionally now than we ever were at the start of the season and a lot of people talk about Mourinho teams being very good positionally and they were talking about that on Super Sunday this week that out of possession Mourinho teams are very compact, they like to hold the ball, they like to work areas and Fulham are actually pretty good at doing that especially in the back six of our team where in the front uh, five or six or four um, will always push the ball. Yeah. So I think that's why we're good when we go ahead, We t- we tend to stay ahead. The only problem is that, um, which I found from Saturday, that although we
3: did absolutely dominate Barnsley, don't get me wrong, that second half was an absolute walkover, was that there was just one or two times when we were pushing quite high to win the ball back and it just left a huge gap in between our defence and midfield, which led to um, a couple of quarter chances, not even half chances for Barnsley to counterattack, where Hamill was picking the ball up in between that area and and had a chance to run at Ream. Yeah.
0: I think that's why that change in um, formation, uh, i.e., bringing McDonald's just the, so, the sole screener in front of mm. that back four and just letting everyone else do a job, has worked so well for us. And then, what I think, like you said, we get caught a bit too far out of pitch. But then as well, when we have possession, sometimes we try to play it out so much that we kind of muddle ourselves in the middle of the pitch, mm. and then we can be susceptible to giving the ball away quite in quite dangerous areas. But again, like you play high risk football, and that's going to mm. happen to you. But yeah when we work it around so much, it's amazing to see incredibly beautiful. But yeah, um, sometimes I wish we wouldn't get stuck in the middle of the pitch.
3: Even when we are in the middle of the pitch, it's just brilliant to see the absolute confidence in all of our players, in in everyone else around that yeah. team. Even they the know, centre-backs. Yeah. It, i I never seen so many one or two touch passes mm. from two centre-backs. And even Button as well. Yeah. And that just kind of, just taking that half a second less or even a couple of seconds less to play a pass, just... Gave Barnsley no chance to even get the win the ball off us high at yeah, the pitch.
0: Completely agree with that. And then uh, one thing I noticed also, just quickly, is that we're not using the channels 100% down the outside anymore. If you know what I mean. So if a full if Fredericks is the fallback and he plays the ball inside to Piazon, for example, he doesn't always overlap on the outside. Now we're starting to see him coming into the inside channel, much like Dani Alves used to do for Barcelona with Messi, and then push to the byline. And I think that is. It's becoming more and more crucial to us because not only does it bring back their opposition winger, but it also means that their fullback Mm. is in a two-on-one situation, doesn't really know how to act. I think that was one of the learning points from the Brighton game because they tried. They
3: noticed that Malone and Fredericks were trying to get to the byline and play balls from there. Mm. Um, But Brighton did quite well at keeping that very compact and keeping that gap in between their fullback and their centre-back as tight as possible. So they couldn't find that channel, which meant a lot of our crosses came from a lot deeper mm. and it just didn't pay off for us that yeah, day. Yeah, I wholly agree with that. I did
1: notice that Barnsley were very much trying to double up, partially on Malone, but especially on, on Ryan Fredericks. He nearly always had two men on him. Ryan Fredericks, personally, sometimes I wish he could be a tad greedier. There's a couple of times <laughs> oh, where yeah. I, I wish he goes for the shot and he... Unselfishly, nearly always goes for the crossbar. I think there's been a couple of times this season. I think if he'd have just wrapped his foot around it on the, with the outside of his foot, he f- could have found a couple in that bottom corner. He gets into the penalty box so much. Yeah, he's often quite wide, and that, I think that's one of the things that you know this
2: this underlapping fullback, as uh, Pat Nevin once coined it, I believe, about <laughs> Leighton Baines. Um, he they they get into the area, and they and, and, and instead of being outside drilling balls in, they find themselves in this kind of sort of new just inside the the edge of the penalty box kind of position where you can shoot, although the angle's small. Or and I think that once he finds himself in that position more and more, there's gonna have to end up being sort of a, a point where you kind of it says to him, Look, look, Ryan, like you're in that spot, have a go. Look, look at, you know, look mm-hmm. at Malone. He's, you know, he's not he's not afraid to have a go. And you know, often it doesn't come off. And but I think that Fredericks is twice the player Malone is if I'm honest. And I think that if you look at the way that he you know can fizz a ball across the box if you can actually get him looking at that for the far post and even if no one then gets a touch it's mm. a deliciously like a you know attacking ball to drive that towards the far post and and it, and it works even if no one gets a touch then yeah. it can come off the post and go in or yeah or anything like that so i think that once we see fredericks in that kind of underlapping role a little bit more We'll, we'll get more out of him in that in that respect.
3: I would say that the amount of times that Fredericks did get to the byline of the weekend and tried to play a ball, uh, like a cutback, I would none of them seem to work. We were getting some brilliant positions. And maybe if in the first two or three times he did have a shot that time, um, it might have made the covering defender think about what Fredericks are going to do next and open up the cutback, because 100% of the time they're always cut out. Well, I don't think we had had a shot from... Um, yeah, a cutback.
0: S- yeah, we say this, but then we've scored so many goals from cutbacks this year. I yeah, think yeah. There's, yeah. Th- there's three alone that you can you can name as AT against Rotherham Steph Joe against. Cardiff and two Steph, against um, Steph Joe against effectively two against Cardiff
1: Southend. as well because yeah. although it came off the bar and Sessignon yeah. tapped it in yeah, and there was
2: also Piazon's got one from a cutback I'm yeah. pretty sure yeah, yeah, so yeah. there's a lot of there's a lot yeah. of goals game well on. Scott Malone's having shots <laughs> we saw that at the weekend yeah I mean That's, I'm not quite sure yeah. where that came from funny enough I was saying this to Sammy earlier apart from the goal I didn't think Scott Malone had that good a game yeah I think I, I, would did, agree I think with he that. was I think he was quite
0: poor in fact he was in that the moment. according to some of the stats yeah he was in that. Uh, FPL team of the week wasn't it? Yeah he?
1: so he's in the EFL team of the week so that's not just the championship team of the week that's also championship league one and league two so it's quite a have they just it's given him that for the goal? Like, it's yeah, just yeah they so must have bizarre. done because, because
0: according to a few stats he, only, he didn't complete a cross this week yeah. and only had a pass completion rate of about 60% or something it's Like a football manager man sure, of the match sure. where like
3: one of your centre backs they, you lose like uh, you loo- it's like a draw three all and one of your defenders scores a goal man of the match
2: yeah. yeah, it was it was very odd. I I didn't think that Malone and I, I while Malone offers an excellent attacking threat, I still don't massively rate him as a left back. I in don't the, think he wins the ball very much as a left back.
3: In the first half because he was he was close to me the whole game where I sit, um he made two very good tackles that stick out in my memory. Yeah. Maybe because it was just close to me. Yeah. I th- I would say that I wouldn't say it was his best performance, but in comparison to the rest of the team, it probably wasn't as good as everyone else. I would say. Yeah, I, I just—it was just something I noticed because there was a
2: lot of there was a lot of Malone chat going around, and and mm. I, I agree, it's a sublime finish. It's, yeah. it's, it's you know it's magical, but it was I just feel that it was his sort of only real contribution. If I if that's all I can sort of remember him doing for the whole game, but there were some magic moments on on Saturday, and yeah. I really did. my favorite moment of the day was Steph Joe taking someone out with a Maradona turn. <laughs> so their keeper they've had the ball in the middle I think it was um scowan josh Scowen, who had one of the worst days of his life him <laughs> and Ad white must have literally oh, left AD white. Him oh, just thinking AD well white, i mean what's wrong like with that. me like i mean he must just be like oh <laughs> what's going on it was after Ad white Luco mugged him twice in the first three yeah. minutes and it was like well you're gonna have an awful day at the office here son aren't you but it was scowan and he'd won the ball back and he was going over to take it and it was the first good thing he'd done all game <laughs> and the ball went a little bit far and steph joe sort of Maradonned, and yeah, as yeah. he did he wiped him into the boards, <laughs> and it he was like, it was like oh, you're really not having a good day at the office, are you, Josh? He's in
1: there at home, like in a chair, just shaking on, on a Saturday. evening. like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Jonathan
0: Abita's still got PTSD from when he came to the conference. <laughs> <laughs> so, he got mugged off so hard.
1: Um, but it was an exceptional goal from Scott Malone, who said to uh, BBC London after the match he didn't know what to do uh, when celebrating the goal. He said he just shut his eyes uh, and it went in, but it's his third of the season now, he's getting a little bit of a knack, and he loves playing against Barnsley.
0: Yeah, he, he does, but honestly, what a finish that is, to like come in at that speed and still get your knee over the top of the ball so it doesn't end up in row Z, mm. and for it, for it to be directed into the bottom corner is a fantastic finish. It's and I actually day. sit in row Z,
1: so that would have been me.
0: <laughs> you could have headed <laughs> yeah. it back It's
1: in
2: the You've side you probably been hit as as a well. couple not... of Luko
0: shots, right? Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. It's like... <laughs> It's not, you know, anywhere. It's, it's in the side netting, fully yeah. like wrapped around the post, kind of, you know, mm. a, a brilliant, it's just an unbelievable finish. And an unbelievable pick out from Chris Ball. Martin. And also, everyone spots. was like, went, literally before it landed, everyone was like, what is he doing? <laughs> I, literally, the bloke behind me said, he was like, what's he up to? And then Malone hit it. And it was
1: like, <laughs> that's what he's up to. <laughs> <laughs> so that win took Fulham to eighth in the championship. Uh, Uh, Norwich lost to Rotherham, so we climbed above them, and we climbed above Barnsley, uh, who were only two points above us at the start of the day. Uh, So we're just behind Derby, and then there's a few points up to uh, the playoff places. Uh, Some interesting results in the championship at the weekend. The most interesting potentially coming on Thursday night, which obviously uh, was the Queen's Park Rangers win against Reading, notable for two reasons. One, because obviously Reading are just a few places above us and starting to look really like they could go on a bit of a slide and I think we may have we mentioned on the podcast that reading have been quite overachieving
0: yeah. This yeah.
1: season, especially when you look at the statistics, yep. it's, it's quite surprising.
3: They do have quite an aging squad. So I would say that. I mean, they a 7 Paul-
0: year old Gareth McCleary, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs>
3: <laughs> what a man. 58 year old Paul McShane. Yeah. <laughs> Don't sell McShane.
1: <laughs> but also interesting because uh, Queen's Park Rangers now with three on the bounce uh, as they go into the Fulham game. Uh, we'll discuss that in a second, but. I mean, Leeds are starting to look like a bit of a force. Good win for them Mm. on Friday night. I spoke to a Leeds fan on Saturday. They're aiming for the top two. They genuinely think they can trouble Newcastle and Brighton. And uh, after Brighton lost their big unbeaten run at the weekend, you could hardly blame them for getting a little bit overexcited. Yeah, and also they, they've they sort of come from
2: nowhere. Right? nowhere. And we were saying, I remember saying right at the beginning of this when we were looking at the teams above us going, we're better than Leeds. And because, you know, you looked at that performance at Elland Road at the, and they were not diabolical, but poor. They were they didn't really offer much up front. They seemed a bit shaky at the back. And, you know, much as they sing about Pontus Janssen being magic, he has done wonders in their defence. Mm. He has you know, really proved himself to be a Premier League player and I suppose that you know what Leeds fans will be worried about is if that they don't go up, I mean he's going to he's going yeah. to be going up one way or the other, but mm. at this rate he looks like
0: he could be going up in a Leeds shirt. So, well they do they do have an option to sign in permanently which looks like they're gonna take up. I but thought yeah, they might have could.
2: activated it already, but mm. I I mean surely someone's gonna pop in and usurp that because you know he he looks a cut above. He looks yeah. you know calas esque in um in, in some of the things he does. But also they've got they've taken a bit of the pressure off Chris Wood, who obviously did really well for Leicester that season that they got promoted. Um and I think he's a, a really good player, Chris Wood. He he has quite a lot of options in his mm. arsenal. But Kamar Roof started taking started living up to his, you know, mm. potential a little bit and it's taken a bit of the pressure off Wood. The and roof Wood, is
1: finally on fire. The <laughs> roof is finally on fire.
2: But he um it's taken a bit of pressure off Chris Wood, and now Chris Wood look like he's enjoying his football again instead of mm. sort of bearing the whole weight of the club on his shoulders. And, yeah, Leeds look like a really, really impressive unit again.
1: Do you think it's likely that Reading and Huddersfield could be the sides to slide out of the playoffs, if any of them are? Because... Sheffield Wednesday and Leeds look strong and if Fulham are going to break into the playoffs and a lot of fans do seem confident that that is a strong possibility and you just you imagine Derby must still be gunning for it
0: despite a couple of poor results. Two sides are going to have to drop out. Perhaps this is quite the, the easy answer to make but in terms of, especially with regards to Huddersfield and potentially with Reading, you sort of look at their squad depth and you think have they got enough to sustain a long run? Have you got that that quality and depth, especially with those those two guys? But also, just quickly going back to Leeds, if you're Hugh Jennings, who's chairman of Swansea, and you sat there thinking, have I made the wrong decision by sacking Gary Monk just over a year ago? Is it a year ago? Just yeah, over a year and a and half, half ago. ago. It was just before kick?" Yeah, who's, yeah. who's revitalised Leeds and is looks like he's going to take them back to the Premier League. And then you, you're languishing four managers later at the foot of the Premier League table with someone you're not probably not got a whole lot of confidence in, although Clement is a good manager. Mm.
1: The funny thing about Gary Monk is it seemed like a coup for Leeds to attract someone mm. like Gary Monk, but he was still only a manager with one club, one with club. one yeah. club, no real record. And he yeah, a yeah. season and
0: a half like, experience.
1: He's not got that much experience as a manager. It just happens to be his experience was for a very respected footballing side in the Premier League.
2: He got quite um, a lot of publicity after the the start of his Swansea tenure because he was, you know, obviously a really good young british manager i suppose there was and he got a lot of oh gary monk's gonna be the next england manager yeah. and there was a lot of that after he won i think he won a man manager, of the two manager months in about four or something like that and he did he did do really well and i think the, back in the day i wrote an article about kit simons and gary monk and how using a homegrown manager with the club's best interests at heart um, could have had a positive effect on on the club, and it was pretty much as I wrote that article. Swansea started a slide, and Gary <laughs> Monk got sacked, and then about four weeks later, Fulham started a slide, and and, and Simons got sacked, and it was it was one of those where it's all, it all sort of went so well for a little while, it was all very fairy tale, and then it just sort of dropped out. But I think Gary Monk didn't necessarily get a fair crack of the whip at Swansea.
1: So next up for Fulham is Queens Park Rangers, uh, the derby on Saturday, twelve thirty kickoff. Uh, UK time it's on the telly over here on Sky Sports so if you're listening to this overseas I imagine uh, there'll be a good stream for you to watch I know a lot of people managed to watch the Barnsley game on Saturday because it was on telly in somewhere in scandinavia i believe so One man, in america as well yeah so, really yeah. so i think quite a lot of people were able to watch the <laughs> Fulham and barnsley game uh, on saturday and you'll be able to watch uh, the rangers game this saturday as well typically as i just mentioned we seem to be playing them as they've hit our, they've hit form after being pretty much terrible ever since they recruited ian holloway
2: they weren't very good against reading i know they won but mm. uh, actually watching the game they were quite poor and reading should have Buried them to be honest, and it was you know it's a it's obviously a little bit worrying that Reading play a little bit like us in terms of they like to dominate possession and and try and carve chances through like intricate passing play and they couldn't break down QPR so they, maybe that's a slight cause for concern but actually apart from the goal QPR didn't create very much and they weren't and also even the goal I'm not sure they mean to do that I don't know if you've seen the like, I have actually um, it's a sort of it's quite a good ball. It comes back from the fullback and a player, instead of shooting, sort of drills the ball behind the centre-back and Mackie just taps it in. It's almost like yeah. an inch-perfect cross, but I'm almost 100% sure that he's not trying to do that. Like, I'm pretty sure he's shooting and has just scuffed it and it's just fallen in the right place. But, you know, I think that QPR are there for the taking at the weekend and we, we we need to be putting that to bed.
1: And then not only, they have won three league games in a row, but they did have a pretty terrible loss against Blackburn in the cup only seven days ago so and then their other two wins were against wolves in ipswich so maybe maybe i'm getting a bit carried away with qpr's form
0: yeah i think you potentially could do i mean when we played ipswich they were diabolical let's put it let's put it nicely um but yeah i've watched qpr a couple of times this season mainly on the tv and obviously tv doesn't give you a full picture of how the game went Sky are going to launch their own QPR channel soon, aren't they? they uh, Sky Sports QPR, one of those pop up ones. Yeah, Tony Cascarino. um, (laughs) Um, um, Apparently, he wrote his missus a card that says best wishes from Tony Cascarino when she gave birth to it, their daughter, (laughs) because he was signing autographs before he came to the office. Anyway, um, uh, before he went to the hospital, sorry. Uh, Anyway. I, I agree with uh, Jack that QPR don't really make a whole lot of chances. Um, one thing we have to be very careful about is that, yes, it's near an all-away team and they will play blood, guts and thunder football. They'll try and nibble us wherever they can. And like, I don't think that their the quality is there for them to get past our, 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 our K-Max screen and the two centre-halves. Hopefully it's Callas and one other. But I think we can take them, definitely. And it would uh, hurt me very much if we left there without three points. Yeah. I think as a problem is that it doesn't
2: really matter how well we played as we saw from the last game against QPR <laughs> we can literally dominate them start to finish and
3: it yeah. could go wrong. But going back to that QPR the initial QPR game um looking back at it, it was it was a type of game that Ian Hollow- Holloway would have loved at the time. Um but all QPR had were just aimless shots from God knows what. I, it was one of those ones we cast our mind backs. So how do we come away losing that game after having two penalties as well don't, for a start? Don't, don't, I know. Anyway, sorry. Scrap that, Sammy. Yeah. It never happened. It never happened. <laughs> <laughs> <It laughs> Edit that one out. It will be
1: interesting, though, to see how this team cope in what's going to be quite a high-pressure atmosphere I'm at Loftus like. Road. I imagine their fans are going to be up for it after winning three in a row. Obviously, Loftus Road is it not an easy stadium to visit. The fans are right on top of you. It's a very compact small shithole that's difficult to visit I
2: I mean I hate KPR more than anyone but uh, you know you can say something for their stadium which is at least it's not Griffin Park yeah but yeah you're right and it's one of those where I think that what we really need and really need to respect on on the weekend is we need a strong referee we really do because you can see players like Kenny and Johansson getting absolutely kicked to shreds Mm -hmm. and I think that if QPR tend to get away if they get away with that at home in front of their home crowds. It's gonna, it's gonna rile everyone up. It's gonna, you know, make get that get the crowd working behind them because it's obviously gonna be, you know, thunder and, and blood and all the things that Holloway loves. And I think that we need to stray away from that because that doesn't suit us. We're not good at we're not good at that. We don't need to do that because we're a better footballing team than they are. And we need to play our game, keep possession, win the ball, frustrate the fans, make sure that they've got nothing to cheer about, keep the ball, and and and, and sort yeah. of just wear them down until the point where someone does something stupid. Yeah. You know,
3: they lose a man, they lose their heads. Bam. There's one player that's come back recently uh, who I'm actually a big fan of, but he's been there for quite a while now, is Jamie Mackey. Yeah, who brilliant is, He's a brilliant player. I, I, when they got relegated the first time, um, when they had this superstar squad, but their standout player was Jamie Mackey, who'd been there for quite a few years. Um, we were, I, link, we were yeah, linked with I was, him I was desperate. I was absolutely desperate for Fulham to get him because I thought... He was he's so direct, he knows where the goal is he he He's kind of got a James Milner about him that he does a lot for the team, but it's not just scoring goals it's he creates a lot of chances he's, a he's a very ha- honest,
2: honest, honest. hard working yeah. kind of player who doesn't deserve to be loved by a
1: club like QPR. <laughs> <laughs> um so News broke on Friday that Chris Martin was back and available for selection against Barnsley. Uh, Caught me off the hop, to be honest. And we've had a couple of chats on this podcast the last couple of episodes. Pretty much resigned to the fact that Chris Martin wouldn't be playing for the club again. Although we did speak last week about how Derby had signed David Nugent for two and a half million. And that we thought that why would Derby still want Chris Martin back if they've just two and a half million pounds on a new striker although they were looking desperately short of uh, firepower on friday against leeds they probably could have done uh, with chris martin so it was announced that he'd be back available for selection against barnsley he was then picked uh, slav said before the game uh, we've resolved this situation inside the dressing room and he's committed 100 percent with us we believe in him and the team believes in him too now after the game he said I don't know why people ask me about Chris Martin so much. This is not his first game for Fulham. He did not refuse to play for us. He is a professional football player. He was a little bit confused with the situation and now he has a clear mind. Well, now we're a bit
3: confused with the situation. Thanks, Slav.
1: (laughs) If Slav said he did not refuse to play, then why come out with the whole we are not a train station after the Reading game where unless it was something lost in translation... He seemed pretty angry with what was going on. But then, I, I but then unless, I don't know. unless the
2: whole thing is Chris Martin said to, to Slav, I'm not sure what's going on. I've heard these things from McLaren. I'd be interested in hearing what both things have to say. And Slav's gone, no, you're not playing. This is not a train station. You're not playing. And then when people asked him about him, that's got, you know, sort of twisted a little bit. And to say that, oh, he's saying this. When maybe it was just a question of, he said, look, what are the options? And Slavice has gone, well, that means he's not got his head in the right place. So we need to get sure his head's in the right place before he plays again. And, you know, that's not impossible or unreasonable from either party, in fact.
1: So you reckon that it wasn't Chris Martin's decision to not play? Oh, I, I don't,
2: oh, I know, I don't you, know. I know you can't know. But I'm suggesting things that might have happened. Yeah. I think there's more to it than all of us know. I think the only kind of thing that I can imagine, and Chris Martin is not a player... For stirring up dressing rooms, by by all accounts, in terms of he's never had that kind of uh, reputation around him. There was a bit of uh, there was a bit of he was sort of the dressing room leader at Derby when there was a bit of chat about him not necessarily getting on with the the Clement regime. But there's speculation that there's more to that than Chris Martin and Paul Clement might wish to you know care to admit. So you know we're not going to delve into that. But I think there's obviously some sort of personal issues in here that mean that the club aren't or the player isn't going to come out and say things and if he's willing to you know play again in the weekend i think that there's much there must be something
1: more to it because i don't think you do that i think you either stick to one gun or the other from a footballer's point of view if you have a problem who do you talk to do you talk to yeah i was going to say do you talk to your agent 100 percent Okay, and then who does the agent talk to? Does they talk to the manager or is there someone else? Is there like a player liaison potentially between them and the manager?
0: Yeah, so every single club, regardless of what tier they're in, has a player liaison agent who will probably talk directly to the player um, who will help them from anything from setting up electricity in their house to getting them some new boots to helping them with the correct mortgage from their house. And then they will also talk to the board of directors. This is the player agent the player will ne- probably almost never have a conversation directly with a board of directors and or the manager unless it's at a point where a big decision needs to be made. Now, I think I I can see where Jack's coming from. I, I've read a couple of reports. Just I think it was across the course of today and maybe over the weekend that there was some agent discussions here that um, apparently Martin is currently on 17K a week and was looking for a substantial rise to 25 to 28 and that was where the confusion was because apparently derby were willing to pay that and give him a, a, like a, a new terms of contract whereas fulham were like we're not going to pay this now i don't know if there's been some sort of go between in which case we agreed to sign him permanently which i believe we have the option for mm and then next summer give him a contract that's like 21 or 22k, in which case he'd probably become one of our top earners, or whether it's been agreed that he'll see out the rest of the season here at Fulham and then he'll go back to Derby and earn 25k, regardless of what league they're in. I don't know what's happened. It seems like the the, the solution's happened behind closed doors, and now Martin's happy, we're happy, and it's all systems go again.
1: So it's potentially the answer that the reason Slav made those comments at the Reading game, because... Slav was in the dark as well, because potentially this was being discussed at levels of Fulham higher than him. He is just the head coach. We have to remember that he's not actually the manager, as I say. He is only in charge of team affairs, so maybe that's why Slav's comments were taken thus. But you're surprised that Fulham would have published them if, if it was the case that the whole club... Didn't think it. I just find the well, whole no, situation bizarre.
0: That part is for me just basically stands out as Slav and probably with the backing of the board trying to make a statement on behalf of the club, because there would be times, possibly in the past, where we would have said, "Okay, he wants to go, let's just let him go," or you know, we'll try and make him rot in the reserves, and it will never come to fruition. But now I'm so glad. We said this in a couple of podcasts ago that we've had this stance where Fulham have become very strong. Slav's been very strong, and the board of directors have sat there and clearly said, we're not a walkover. Even though he's one of our biggest players, if he doesn't want to play for us, fuck him off for a bit and then see how the situation goes. So I think we've obviously published those, and Slav would have been told by the board of directors anyway, as with any football manager of a big player, this is the situation. So, yeah, I'm glad we've made a statement. I'm also very glad he's back. Yeah, I'm very glad he's back. He was excellent. He was. He looked so fresh absolutely fresh of the weekend and and just
3: although we have been playing well without him in the team for those two games but with him in the team he was pretty unplayable at times at the weekend that diagonal ball that he chested down and it was a good stop in the first half Mm. was an absolute gem of a touch it was just that tiny little bit of movement that all he needed because he's obviously not the fastest player in the world he's probably not faster than the two Barnsley centre-backs but that tiny bit of anticipation that tiny bit of movement and it was a great
0: ball for him alone to find him no, there you are, something Malone did good. good. yeah. <laughs> I really liked, uh, for the build-up of the second goal, obviously the cross basically take, takes precedent there because it was a great cross. But there's two stages to that that goal. First is that he's, he flicks it onto a Luka and he finds him, which is something that in the previous three matches where he wasn't playing, we couldn't get a hold of the ball. Um, and then, secondly, to make the movement, to allow himself to get... Into space for that cross, and then to have the awareness to realize that he was com- not completely isolated, but didn't have the the people around him to make an effect. Just to stop the ball and drag those centre backs straight past him, and then loft it in is just like that guile we needed up top. Yeah, in previous years, we a person would have played up front. You know, whether it
3: be Dembele, Woodrow, McCormack, whoever. But I reckon a different striker in that position. and It has happened in previous years that they would make that little bit of space, but then they take way too long to actually play a pass after Mm. that. All it took was Martin receiving that ball. He then sort of dragged it back away from the defender. One look up, bang, across. A few seconds, that was it.
0: We play so quickly now that that's why I think that Ross McCormack wouldn't work in this situation because he he likes to have too much time on the ball, whereas Martin works because he knows what what he's doing before he gets it and knows how to execute it. And I watched Ross against uh, Wolves at the weekend. It wasn't his best performance by yeah, a long way. An absolute shocker, by all accounts. I have one reservation about Chris Martin, and that's what happens
2: if we come up against Derby County in a playoff final. Well, we, well, we, need we play somebody. him in disguise. Yeah, that's <laughs> one of those ones. Like, I just, We let him wear
3: a Corley Woodrow yeah. mask. I think it's just one of
2: those ones where we're, 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 like, we're saying all these things and it's so good to have him back, and he was, he made such a difference. He really did, and I thought we would... You know, we looked so sharp in attack and we looked like we had so many sort of options and it's just really starting to get to me that I think this is just like one what? of those that things. That
1: Venezuelan strike with the ginger hair looks just like Chris Martin. <laughs>
2: <laughs> where did they get him yeah. from? Yeah. We just signed Hugo rodriguez
0: on a one-day yeah. deal. <laughs> that... It's Blue Monday today, and I wasn't really feeling it until that comment, so cheers for ruining my Monday, mate. Yeah, it is. Like, I really appreciate <laughs> that. Like, I'd written in my notes, like, we're just getting to the edge of the playoffs, like, we're heating up at the right time, we're really strategically placed as dark horses to jump in there at the last, we're doing a Green Bay Packers and getting hot when it needs to be hot, and now you've fucked it. I'm really
3: worried. Cheers, like, who, seriously who will, seriously who worried will Chris it? Martin root for?
0: Us, obviously. He's well, yeah. Until he dies, mate.
2: Never in doubt. <laughs> did, you see Fred, did anyone see Ryan Frederick's tweet? Called him yes, a yeah. yeah. That. <laughs> that was amusing. But also, some, someone, you know, pointed this out to me at the time, and it was one of those things when Chris Martin scored. The pretty much like the entirety of the squad were over to him. You know, mm-hmm. everyone came over, and that doesn't strike me as that's the some... response of a team to a man that's just gone out on strike on them. Yeah, I don't think he has. Yeah. No, I know, but that's what I mean. It's really yeah, one of those yeah. things I when people are saying like, that doesn't like you know much as they're making jokes and whatever about it, and that's that's obviously part of it as well. You know, if it, Fredericks feels comfortable enough to be like, well, he um, is obviously one thing, but like to see them all respond to him like that is obviously positive and obviously shows that he's part of sort of a, a team and a unit. So, yep. you know, that's good.
1: Other news that broke on Friday was Hazard uh, leaving. Uh, he was joining um, Celta Vigo on a six-month loan. Only six months after his four million pound mood from Real Villagano, Real Ray Viacano, Real Viacano.
0: Double Ls are pronounced as a Y. Okay, Real v- Viacano. I- I- okay,
1: now Ben wrote a brilliant article on Friday, which was called Adios, Hozabed. and it was it was very much a what might have been article for hozabed I think we were all very excited when he joined uh it was a, that's big money for a championship side to spend four million reported four million pounds uh we've spoken at length that last season how he scored both against uh Real Madrid and Barcelona and was a standout player for Vallecano as they got relegated to is it Siri bit no it's called uh, liga
0: Segunda. it's called uh la liga one two3 now because it's sponsored by Santander and uh, their one two3 account i <laughs> that's the most confusing very, thing. Very, very weird trivia. Yeah, even even why.
1: Spain has sold its soul to uh, <sighs> a corporate
3: first one called
0: La Liga Santander. It's called La, La, Liga, Liga, one's La Liga 1, 2, 3. Yeah, La Liga <laughs> Santander 1, <Jeez>. 2, 3.
3: <laughs> me. What division are you in? 1, 2, and 3.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's weird. It's even more strange because, um, past La Segunda, you've got all the regional divisions. So, like 2A, 2B, 3A, B, and C so you don't know what league you're in basically <laughs>
1: <laughs> but ben the main point from your article was just how he is a good player just at the wrong time for fulham that that was the crux of your article but maybe go in a bit more in depth for those that haven't read it yet
0: well yeah so for me i think i'm a little bit biased but hosbed over the past sort of 12 to 18 months before his move to fulham had been a vital cog in the rail Viacano system that is essentially run by what is known in the In the Spanish world as a as a probably a bit of a nutcase manager in Paco Jemes who used to play centre defensive midfielders as centre backs and stuff like that, and he really shone in a system that allowed Vallecano to play out of the back even though they weren't particularly good at it. And him and Roberto Trashoras in the centre midfield had a really silky, smooth partnership. It would be Josebed would assist the players and get the ball out wide for their wingers, whereas Trashoras would do all the dirty work. Um, on behalf of Hozabed. And then, uh, unfortunately, last season, Vallecano, despite all their promising early-season form, sort of transcended into a, a really bad slide where they couldn't get any goals and they were, they were letting in a lot at the other end and, unfortunately, it led to them being relegated on their last day in somewhat unfortunate circumstances. But, yeah, um, and then the move here, apparently he was on, on the verge of signing for Sevilla, who defeated Real Madrid at the weekend and their 40-game unbeaten run. Sevilla, obviously three times champions of the Europa League in a row, um, qualified for the Champions League this year. And obviously when we signed him, it felt like a bit of a coup for the club. There was some nervous, initial nerves in the fact that we feel like we would really got ourselves a player here. And obviously based on his form last year, I was very excited and I thought he could make a real difference to the team. Not only because of his quality and the fact that he could play more than one position, but obviously... When we saw him take to the field in a couple of the championship games, he did look like the physicality, the speed, and that those elements of the game really took him by surprise. And the shock, obviously, of being in Madrid, which is a completely different culture to London, obviously does make a difference, not being able to speak the language as well. But he's a great player. He feels like more of a Premier League player because he doesn't want the harem scareum sort of end to endness of the championship. He would prefer the structured, sort of free flowing football of the Prem because that's La Liga's highly tactical and you get a lot of space, or not a lot of space, you get a lot of time, but not a lot of space, and it's up to him to create that space, which is very similar to the Prem, which is why I believe that at the time we're such a good player, but the way we're playing now, too fast for him, too physical, and that's why slightly wrong place, wrong time.
1: Do you think there's a possibility in a dreamland that if Fulham got promoted, yeah. that Hozabed could return to Fulham and have a key part to play as a Premier League player, which sounds crazy that we'd loan out someone because now we don't we don't trust you for the championship. But as soon as we reach the promised land, then we'll get you.
0: There are a couple of players that I think have done that in the past. Obviously none none spring to mind right now. But the way I see it is that he should we be promoted, I think a good comparison, although maybe not the same calibre of a player, would be to someone like potentially Gaston Ramirez at mm. uh, um Middlesbrough who's obviously their creative hub. Isn't the fastest player, although his goal the other week was breathtaking. But I think Hozabed could could offer that that incision, that incisiveness, that that playmaking ability that we could have in the Premier League, given the, the more afforded space that you get given in that league. As you say is, was he more statically was is he as good as Brian Ruiz because he was a phenomenal footballer well, when we first talked about him and his first couple of games and the, the Middlesbrough game in the Cup where well, we were obviously blessed to be christened with that no touch turn the Hozabed... <laughs> I think we called it the Hosabed turn
1: Hossabed potentially
0: faint. the Hozabed faint. Hmm where he lets the ball run across his body to give himself some some space. I think that's the sort of thing we'd see. And Ruiz had the same sort of thing, that, that languid style that makes him look so relaxed on the ball and it makes him look like he's not trying when in fact like he is trying. It's just his way of expressing himself and it's a very Spanish and very like continental mm. way to play. It doesn't it's always have to be blunt so
3: and blood. in so intelligent, the way he yeah. just he'd have like four players around him and he'd still be able to just yeah. pick a pass. And the pass just wouldn't be Luck, it would just be forceful, precise, yeah. and I think that's such a talent. It's such, it's it was beautiful to watch at times. I you know, things that... it, things weren't going right for us. Yeah. It's easy to point fingers, but I loved watching him play. Yeah,
0: there are def- definitely some comparisons between the two players. I 100 percent agree with that. We were blessed, blessed to watch Ruiz. For
2: me, it was. <laughs> we were I, know, I I believe said. So. I I completely agree with you. I think that at points we saw things that were. You know, nothing short of magical. That chip against Everton stands mm. out as just one of the most technically brilliant goals I've ever seen, and just some of the some of the things he did with the football. You'd be like, oh, just, you know, unbelievable. But he was lazy, and Dave from H three didn't think he was
1: <laughs> <laughs> right. So we've come to the end of the podcast. If you want to read uh, more about Hozabed and Ben's thoughts on Hossabed, uh please go to fullamish.co.uk. dot uh, It will be the second article down. Uh, called Adios Hozabed, or at least for now. Is that what it's called?
3: Yeah. It's a great great article I read. Very, very good. Thank you.
1: Very much worth a read. Uh, So it has come to the end of the podcast, and it is time once again for Secretary Jack to name this episode. What are you going for, please, Jack?
2: Uh, I think on another one from you, Sammy, that's two in a row. Uh, I'm going to go for the Cottage Carousel.
1: Okay. After -hmm.
2: after the, the... you know, magic of the fair that
0: we saw on, on Saturday.
1: The Cottage Carousel. The cottage Carousel. Wow, what an honour. Two in a row for I know, Jack. you're doing well.
0: You guys need to up your game. Yeah. <laughs> My submission was going to be, is Celta Vigo in the <laughs> north of Spain? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah,
1: good. Well, um, we'll be back next Monday with another podcast looking back at the West London derby uh, between Queen's Park Rangers and Fulham. It's going to be a good one. If you're off to the game, uh, enjoy it. If you're watching it on the telly, then we hope you get three points watching at home.
2: Keep an eye out for us. Lower tier, the boys. Lower tier. Oh, gang. yeah. Lower, Lower tier. Lower gang.
1: We're aiming for the telly. Should we bring a flag or something? Should we bring a Fulhamish flag? We should make a Fulhamish flag, yeah. OK, well, well, we'll do some arts and crafts in the week and we'll post it on Twitter if we get round to it. Good. Uh, so um, thank you once again for listening. Uh, please go and share the podcast uh, with anyone that you think will enjoy it. Thanks. Farrell, Ben and Jack, uh, we'll see you next week.
0: See Adios, you next right. week.
1: Six months, uh, six months in northern Spain. Vigo's in the south of Spain.
2: Yeah, it's, yeah, on, the it's, border it's, border it's on the border of Portugal. It's really lovely.
0: What? Can, can Apparently I, they do yeah. really nice octopus there. They do. It's a very big port town there.
1: Yeah. I googled where Vigo was and it's north of Portugal.
0: Yeah. Yeah, therefore in the south of Spain. It's in Galicia. What? Yeah. yeah. I'm really confused. I've been, yeah. I'm
1: really confused Porto's by this. Yeah. I thought it was in like the north. Its closest
3: city is Porto. Yeah. Which is really nice.
1: So that's not making it, doesn't <laughs> that make it in the north of Spain?
3: Oh, no, I think we should send you on a six-month loan to the Vigo um, podcast. Of Vigo podcast, yeah. so think you can I'm learn right. all about it. Just, what's going on? <laughs> it's in the north of Spain. <laughs> it's in the north of Spain. <laughs> I told you it was in the north of Flipping Spain. <laughs>
1: Are you trying to wind me up?
3: Yeah, you're right. I, sh- I shouldn't have gone with the crowd, even though I've been there. Yeah. <laughs>